You know, I don't know about you, but uh, I've always been impressed by illusionists. I'm not into magic. That's a whole different thing. But illusionists, you know, they got the ability to take something that's real, like a woman, put her in a box, and like they're sawing her in half and then walking those two pieces around and then bringing them back together, and they get out and they look fine. Well, illusionists have got the ability to present something that is real in front of our eyes, but leave us with something that is false, both to our perception as well as the impression upon our hearts. And did you know that Satan is a master illusionist? Stop and think with me for a second. Doesn't he present something real right in front of us? He takes the real world and the things of the world that are here and he puts them right before our eyes and he leaves us with this false impression and perspective that somehow these things in the world are going to really give me lasting meaning, value, significance, and joy. Satan's the master of that. And I just want you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 2, kind of introduce us as we move towards Ecclesiastes. Let's see what this world is that Satan is presenting in front of us. 1 John chapter 2. I'll give you a second to get there. He says this. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. Now let me stop for a second. The world he's speaking of here is not really the material things It's not the material world he's speaking of when he's speaking about this. He's speaking about a system, a spiritual system, a system of darkness where where Satan is the god of this world. And it's a system that has its own values, its own philosophy, its own loves, its own goals. And these values and loves and goals and philosophy exclude God totally Matter of fact, they're opposed to God, and the spirit of this world is constantly working to squeeze not only the people of the world, but even believers in Jesus Christ into its mold so that we will value and love and think and make the same kind of goals that they make. And what he's telling us here in John is don't love the world nor the things of the world, because if anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. Loving this world and loving God are mutually exclusive. You can't do them both at the same time. And some of things, well, you know what? I got Jesus and I can get all the world has to offer to. Uh, that's, that just doesn't work. Then he tells us in verse 16, the heart of what this world system Offers for all that is in the world, the lust, and lust is cravings, desires. You know, so here we got this craving, this desire of the flesh, and the craving or the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. The simplest way to describe that, it's those desires for the things, the things of the flesh is, is the body. 
The things that pleasure the body. It can be all the way from overeating to illicit sex and everything in between. You know, there's a lot of things that pleasure the body, and some of them are gifts. But when they're misused, that's what the world gets us to do, is take God's precious gifts and misuse them. And so we have all the pleasures that come from the world. We have the possessions, the lust. I think, well, I really like to have that. I wish I had that. I wish I had that. the things I see and more and more possessions that we crave for and long for, and I want more and more. And the boastful pride of life, that's position. That's having a status that might be above your neighbors, something that gives you pride and you really kind of feel special because I've got this position, I'm just a little bit above them. So this is the heart of what the world offers. It offers to us pleasures. It offers to us possessions. It offers to us position. But what he says to us there, this is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So to lay the foundation for this morning's message, we need to understand that there's, there's two ways that are presented before. You see this in wisdom literature. You look in Proverbs, you look in Ecclesiastes. There's the way of the fool and the way of wisdom. And you have them laid out before you, the way of the world and the way of God. And that's what we're going to be looking at today as we learn that Solomon took to the test all that the world has to offer, the pleasures, the possessions, and the positions, and he drew a conclusion about that with that test. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Let's see this. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We'll be starting in verse 1. And he said this, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said the laughter, it is madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? We see here right in these first two verses what we've learned that the whole book is about. We see that Solomon, he said, I'm going to test you with pleasure. He's testing something. We saw that he's like a scientist in the laboratory of life taking a test to try to answer a question. What profit, what advantage, what value, what meaning, what significance does man have in all the work he does under the sun? And so one of the tests he's doing today is that of the pleasures, the possessions, and the position. I want to remind you, if you, if you have that chart with you, I, we've got it in an overhead here. If you can see, it'll hopefully it'll give you a, a sense of where we're at. Or hopefully you have that chart in your book. But if you remember, there's four major sections to the book of Ecclesiastes. It starts with an introduction in chapter 1, where he previews for us what he's going to do in the book. And what we see here is that he is testing what will bring 
lasting value to life from this world that we live in. And then we see that he moves from the intro into an investigation. Now he's in the laboratory. And now he's starting to do the test. And uh, we, we see here this week, as he's going to talk about the test of pleasures, possessions, and position. And then after that, he moves into chapter 9. There's a big transition in the book. And um, what he talks about there is insight what he learns from all these testing that I did about life and what brings lasting value, he brings us to a conclusion and says, man really can't discover this no matter how hard he tries because we really don't know what God is going to do because God's sovereign over everything. So he gives us advice in light of that of how to live. And then if you remember, he concludes with telling us the conclusion when all is said is done to fear God and keep his commandments. Because this is the whole of man. This is the mannish of man, the womanish of woman. This is what makes you complete as a human being. This is what you were created for. This is where you're living in your sweet spot. This is where you find meaning and value and joy that at last and abides is by a right relationship with Jesus Christ and walking in respect and faith in him and obeying him. That's the whole book. And so this morning, we're looking particularly in this area of the investigation regarding the test of pleasures, possessions, and position. So we saw, starting in verses 1 and 2, he's doing this test. We're going to see in verses 3 through 9 the details of this test. Verse 10, he'll give us a summary statement regarding it. But then he's going to say, when I considered all of this, this is my conclusion. When it comes to that big question, does it really bring us lasting value, meaning, significance, and joy? So follow along as I read. Starting in verse 3. I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely. But the first thing he did is he used a stimulant, wine. And I like what he said, while my mind was guiding me wisely. In other words, he's testing. He says, you know what? I got the perfect high. <laughs> I didn't do so little that I didn't experience the fullest effect of it, and I didn't do so much that I, that I got drunk and intoxicated. He had wine using his mind to guide him to the place where he got that perfect effect from the wine in his life, where he still had his sober senses about him. And then he said this, and how to take hold of folly until I could see what, was, what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. You say, wait a minute, take hold of folly. What in the world is that? I'm going to put it this way. And ladies, this is a guy thing. Many of you ladies might be saying, what in the world is folly? I mean, what's taking hold of folly? I know me and I know some of my buddies and I've done this. Basically, it's this. It's just being stupid. Sometimes, Kim, you know how many times you say, Pat, what are you doing? I said, I'm just being stupid. 
That's it. And just be like, what? You know, us guys, we get that. And we're with other guys, and we're just being stupid. And, and it just, uh, some of you ladies don't relate to that, but we're just being stupid, and we're enjoying it, and we're laughing, and we're having a great time. Just being stupid. I hear some amens from the men. You know what I'm talking about. Well, that's what he was doing. He just was just, just, again, he wasn't being sinfully stupid, just, just being stupid. And he took hold of it, see what good he could find here on earth. Then he did this. So this was the pleasures, you know. He, he took hold of wine, um, took hold of folly. Then we move into the possessions and listen to what he did. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. I also collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. And so look at the amount of just possessions this guy had. Like nobody before him. It just expanded all these things that he had for himself. And then he goes back to some of the pleasures. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men. Many concubines. You might wonder, what is that? That's sex. Concubines were actually a, in a strange way, a part of the family, but in a lower status than the wife, and they were primarily there to serve the king's pleasures, and most often through sex. And so Solomon said he had many concubines. He had, I had much sex, much pleasure with women. Then he says in verse 9 this. Now he's going to talk about his position. Then I became great. I became famous. I became of high status and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. And my wisdom also stood by me. And so here's a summary of his test. Verse 10. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Anything my eyes saw, the possessions, the lust of the eyes, getting more and more. We see this guy kept getting more and more possessions. All of that, he said, I didn't refuse anything, and I didn't withhold my heart from any pleasure that I wanted to pursue, the lust of the flesh. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. Then he says this in the conclusion. Thus I considered, I thought about this, I reasoned, I put together all this stuff I was testing and I, and I came to this conclusion. As I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind. 
and there was no prophet under the sun. You know, it's interesting here that on one hand, he says, I was pleased. There was pleasure in these pleasures. You know, a lot of people, you know, they, they kind of act like there's no pleasure in these things. There really is. There is pleasure. The problem is it's not lasting pleasure and meaning. And, and the, the things we get, they give us that momentary high, uh, these possessions, and we're so excited we first get it, but that wears off quickly and it's gone and it doesn't really give us what we're looking for. And... I love, I don't know if Eric Beal's with us this morning, but Eric was, uh, he took up the challenge as some others have, uh, and I'm so encouraged about that, to read Ecclesiastes for yourself. He said, Pat, as, I, as I've been reading this, he says, uh, let me suggest something about the way I think vanity is being used in the book. And it's right here in this verse, and I think, it's, uh, I think he's so accurate. He says it's better than, than I have said it so far. But he said this, you know, when he talks about, uh, we saw in Ecclesiastes 3, that all our works are good. We heard Josh, what an amazing message last week from Josh about how our work is good and has value. You know, it's interesting when you talk about in Ecclesiastes, when he said these things are good, you know what that word good is? It's the same word that's used in Genesis 1 when God looked at his works and said, this is good. This is good. He said it over and over again. He said, this is very good. So Solomon is not saying what we do is absolutely useless. Actually, he's saying it's good. But what it is useless for is to answer the question he's trying to answer. What brings lasting value and meaning and significance and purpose and joy to my life? You see, when you're trying to answer that question, all these things that the book says are good and really do bring pleasure, they're useless when it comes to answering the question he's trying to answer. You follow me? And thank you, Eric. I think you helped my, uh, my thinking to be so much clearer on that. And that's exactly, and we see that right here at the end of verse 11. I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind and there's no profit on our son. This stuff does not have the ability to give us what we're looking for. And here's the problem. As I said earlier, there's two ways of life that are presented before us. There's the way of the fool. There's the way of wisdom. It's the way of the world. It's the way of God. The world offers real things in front of us just like an illusion as Satan, the God of the world, takes the storehouse of the world and all the, you want to call it, toys that he has in there, and it's like he puts it on the bait of a hook and he puts it in front of me and you and he knows how each one of us are made as he's been observing us and he knows what tempts us and he puts that in front of us to get us to bite the bait so that we really pursue the way of foolishness in the world because those lust of the flesh and he puts that in front of me and man I go woo or that possession I go woo or that opportunity to have that big position and be important and actually end up with some pride and maybe sinful pride in my life Satan's got the ability to do that 
But here's what we're learning from Ecclesiastes. Those things bring temporary pleasure. Those things are useless for you and me to find the deep down at the core of our being what we were created to be in relationship with God because now God offers to me a whole different set of things and he offers to me as uh, what the Bible calls life indeed. This is life, this is life indeed. This is abundant life. This is eternal life. And he brings to us an offer that is real and he puts it before our eyes and it really does give to us that lasting meaning and value and joy. Significance at the core of my being. And when I walk this way, properly related to God and obeying his commands, then I find the answer to the question that Solomon was trying to answer. And I need to ask you today, where are you at? Which road are you on? Which are you pursuing? If you were honest with yourself this morning before the Lord, you don't have to come me and tell me where you're at. This is for your benefit. But if you're honest, you are to say, God, you know what? My mind and my heart and my life is constantly thinking about these things over here and how I can get more of them. Thinking that somehow if I just had these, then my life would be okay. Or am I over here saying, I'm going to pursue Jesus and everything he has, and that's where my mind, and that's where my heart, and that's where my time is. Then you're going to find that life that is life indeed. That's what we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon tested this. Doesn't have the ability to give what this can give. Yes, these things are good. These things do bring pleasure. But they're not the kind that hits us at the core of our being and makes us who we are created to be. That only comes when we pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. And I see you are here, Eric. Thank you, brother, for helping sharpen my thinking. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's the core of who Moraine Valley Church is. This verse really drives the core of who we long to be, how we identify, how we identify ourselves as people who are following Jesus and impacting others. And that's what Jesus called them to, and that's what Jesus calls you and me to. But to do that, we need to leave this way to go here. Because, you know, um, here's the reality. Following Jesus is a lot like marriage. What's marriage? Leaving, 
cleaving. I left all these other relationships that were possible to me and open to me to make and to cleave to this one and to make this that special, unique, one-of-a-kind relationship. And that's what we do with Jesus. There's things we need to get in the right perspective. It isn't Jesus as, you know, one of many. I heard this, I don't know why this came to me, but I remember hearing this story a long time ago. Guy talked about, uh, you know, he he was a sailor, uh, whatever that word is, sailor. (laughs) And he was traveling from port to port. And he had a girlfriend in every port. And his wife found out. And his wife was very upset. And he said, baby, no, 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 don't, don't worry. Um, you're first. You're the one I love the most. Now, how would you feel, wives, if your husband said, I got like eight other girls on the side, but you're the one I love the most? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. See, marriage is about leaving and cleaving. It's a whole unique thing. And this relationship with Jesus, like, hey, I love all these possessions, and I love all these pleasures, and I love this position, and I love you, Jesus, the most. This is about saying, Jesus, you're my one and all. You're the, you're the, the crown jewel of my life. When we compare these two, it's like, it's like that 10-watt light bulb and the 1,000-watt white bulb next to it. Jesus, you're my all in all. Yeah, these things are good. These relationships are good. But Jesus, you're the crown jewel of my heart. You're the only one. We have a unique relationship. And so Jesus is calling them to that. And he said in verse 20, what did they do when he said, follow me? Immediately they left their nets And they followed him. Jesus called to them and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What they did, these were fishermen from the shore that were using their nets, their possession, throw it in, boom, pull pull in some fish. And what immediately did is they left their possessions and even their livelihood, they left their job. This is the way I provide for my family. This is I, I catch these fish and sell the leftovers and we eat what we can eat. And immediately, these two brothers left what they had of their livelihood and their possessions and they followed Jesus. Then in verse 21, he says this. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. In the boat was Zebedee, their father, and they were mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So we see here in this short passage, to follow Jesus, these guys had to leave something to cleave to Jesus. They left their livelihood. They left their possessions that helped them make that livelihood, they even left their family to follow Jesus. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Say, man, that's a big ask. 
Mark chapter 10 will be in verse 28. Once again, Jesus was challenging people about their need to leave and cleave to him. And Peter said to Jesus in verse 28, Behold, we have left everything. We've left everything, Jesus, and followed you. And listen to what Jesus said. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake. But they will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. But don't forget this one if you just want to be a prosperity theology person, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, I have, I have three brothers and a sister. I have a mom and dad that went to the Lord. And when I came to know Jesus, guess what? I got way more brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers than I ever had because guess what? Now you're my brothers. You're my sisters. You're my mothers. And I know that if I was really in need, some of you <laughs> would say, Pat, you can come and stay at our house if you really need to. We'll feed you. We'll take care of you. That's what happens in the body of Christ. There's a relationship. Actually, when Jesus was attempting to say, hey, your brothers and sisters are outside. Jesus said, my brothers and sisters are those who do the will of God. And when you are walking with people who are seeking after God the way you are, they become your brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and so forth and so on. God has multiplied that. And not only now in this age, but also in the age to come, we get eternal life. So I just wanna, I wanna introduce you. Bruce and Paula, why don't you come on up here? I wanna introduce you to a missionary couple. In my mind, they left their livelihoods, they left their family behind, they left a lot of their possessions, and they followed Jesus to his call down to the border of Mexico to serve the poor, build homes, feed them, and now working with the orphans as well. And so uh, those who don't know, this is Bruce and Paula Hepburn, uh, friends of many of us, missionaries of Moraine, and I actually, my nickname for Bruce is the Apostle of Grace. And uh, someday I want to be an Apostle, Bruce. But hey guys, tell us about it. What, what was your life like before it is working. Okay. What was your life like before God called you? To give, give us well, a window. I mean, uh, Paul and I lived in Hickory Hills, and uh, we attended church here at Moraine. Had a great job. I was making six figures, you know, uneducated, making, making a good living as a salesman for a roofing company. So I did a lot of roofing and windows and all that stuff and um, making good money. And uh, Paula was a nurse at Good Samaritan Hospital up in Downers Grove. And, uh, you know, we were living the American dream. You know, we had a nice house and a big mortgage, like most people do, and a couple car payments I think we had. Uh, 
even had a swimming pool in the backyard that Pat married us as we walked across the pool 25 years ago, last week actually. Um, Pat married us there, and uh, so we stayed there, and uh, we had a good church life as we thought, you know, so we thought. You know, we came to church, tithes of our income, had a small group study. Some of the guys are here today that we were in a small group with for years, and um, we thought we uh, had the American dream all nailed down, baby. And life was going, and actually you were good, faithful members of the church, giving and serving and connecting with others. I mean, this, this was your life. But then so God, started, God started doing something in both your hearts. Explain that to us. What, what, what happened? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, um, so, uh, right shortly there after we got married, our first year we got married. Man, them lights are really bright there, you know? Uh, can't even see you guys up in the back there. But uh, we went on a missions trip. Some, my boss and his wife asked us to go on a missions trip to Mexico and build a home for a family. And we're like, wow, mission trip? We've never been on a mission trip. But Paul is originally from Mexico, so we thought, there's a good fit, you know? And uh, so we went with them, and we built a house for a, for a family. Um, they were living in a house made out of pallets. Their, their walls in their house were literally pallets. And I said they had a tin roof, but Paula reminded me this morning that they had basically a tarp thrown over these pallets to, to keep the rain out of their house. And they had three kids, and uh, we built them a little house, a little 12 by 20 house. I think at the time we were building 12 by 20 houses, smaller than most single-family garages, really. And, uh, man, it changed us. You know, I mean, we never saw poverty like that. I never realized that people in this world were living in houses with dirt floors and, and uh, pallets for walls and, and raising their families like that. And we came home. Well, actually, they asked me to do a devotion that night. And God took me to Ephesians 2.10, where it says, We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And I was like, wow, helping the poor, is that what you prepared us to do? And we thought, yeah, that's what God, that's what God created us to do. And now, you, did you immediately move down there, or what happened after that first Oh, trip? no, yeah, people just don't leave their boat and their fish and, you know, come follow Jesus, you know. So we started uh, doing it twice a year. We did it on Christmas, and... And uh, Easter, spring break, and Christmas uh, holiday, and we started taking groups from Moraine Valley Church. Actually, we took over 300 people from this church on mission trips to build houses for the families. Mm. Pat's been there. Many people, I look out across here, many people have been down there with us over the years. Um, and it just, you know, every time we went down there, it just left a little, little more piece of our heart down there every time. And every time I came back, I said, you know, Paul and I talked, said, oh, man, we could just let's just do this full-time, let's just help the poor, you know, and, and then you think, yeah, who does that? So how, how did you end up doing that then, brother? What happened in your life to well, bring about, you to that Well, about point? seven years in, we sat in a service here, we were sitting up in the back row, up in the balcony, and I believe it was Ron Hutchcraft was here, and he gave a message on surrendering. You know, we sang that song today, I Surrender All. Yeah, good luck with that, people. <laughs> Try it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was a great song. Just that, I mean, it made me makes me cry every time I hear those songs about surrendering because you know, it's it's a hard thing to do. But anyhow, so seven years in, then God really put a call in our life, and we walked down from up there and came down here and prayed, and uh, we we knew that God was calling us full time into that. 
So from that time until 2007, it was three years to make that decision. I mean, God put the call on our life, and you keep saying no, you know? And God says, do it. And we said, mm, yeah, later. I was 50, you know, just peaking with my income, you know, you're making good money, and, and uh, you think, you know, when I hit 60 or 65, that's when you go into mission field, because you don't really care anymore, you know? Um, you know, the kids are all grown and out of the house. You can do that stuff. You can surrender, you know? And uh, so, so finally, I, I, uh, I went to work one day. And, uh, or no, I didn't even go to work. I called my boss because I had left my truck at the work. And uh, he said, you're done here. I said, what do you mean I'm done here? He says, you're done here. And I said, what do you mean? He says, you're, you're fired. Your stuff's all out of your truck. Come and get your stuff. I changed the locks on the business. I mean, this was a brother in the Lord. I mean, he was my best friend, best man in my wedding. And just out of the clear blue, he fired me. And I was like, what the heck? And I, there was a men's um, retreat going on here at church. And I came here. And Dave Bosey and a couple others are like, hey, man, you should be rejoicing. You know, I'm in tears. I'm crying. I just lost my job, you know. And they said, God is calling you to do what he's called you to do, which is go down to Mexico and help the poor. Amen. And so we put our house on the market. Paula lost her job like three weeks later. I said, hey, you know, being unemployed is good. You know, you can like do what God wants you to do, you know. Yeah, God's got a way of getting you to where he wants you, right, brother? Well, I wrote, I wrote, down, I wrote down here the disruptions in your life. Sometimes God's got to disrupt your life. You know the story about Jonah? What'd they have to do to him? throw him over the boat, hmm. right? They had to throw him overboard in order to get him to do what God called Amen. him to do. So I kind of felt like God threw us overboard. Wow. Right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel about all that, honey? <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, Bruce, um, yeah, knowing you and knowing you that whole time and watching this process and... Um, just amazing what God has done to, again, it's, it, it really wasn't even so much that you guys were great guys and unique. It's that God began to work in your heart. He began to speak to you for over three years. He worked, and eventually he said, I'm going to help you guys make this happen. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to go the hard way. And if you read on a little bit in Ecclesiastes 2, where Patrick studied from, I started hating my job, like the last six months, maybe a year. I couldn't sleep at night, tossing and turning, remember? And uh, I just started hating my job and hating my life. You know, I just, it just didn't mean anything anymore. Because we knew that God was calling you to do something, but you just weren't ready to do it. But then you started hating the things of this world, and then he could get me to do what he called us to do. So, Bruce, we just talked about that there's... Jesus said, when you do leave him and follow him... You know, we're talking about there's two ways today. I can hang on to this stuff the world has, thinking this is going to make my life what I was dreaming of, or I can follow the way of Jesus and where he's calling me. And, and, but he said that, you know, if you do that, he says, I'm going to bless you right here in this world, give you eternity on top of it, and even the gift, the gift of persecutions. <laughs> yeah. Well, get persecuted. I mean, my, my kids, our kids thought we were nuts. Uh, my sisters and my brother, they thought we were nuts. Um, Your friends at church thought you were nuts? Some of the people at church thought we were nuts. they like, yeah, you don't, you don't do that. You know, we enjoy golfing with you every week, you know. And, 
and uh, they enjoyed coming to our house after church on Sundays and having a barbecue and all that. And uh, hey, Jeff, did you ever get that picture? I gave, I sent it. There it is, right there. There was my plan up on top. Straight road, man. You make money, you live, you die. God's plan on the bottom there, man. Look at it. Well, tell us about some of the ways you have seen God bless you in this world, uh, in your hearts, in your ministry, in your lives. What have you seen? You ready? Oh, there you go. I'm just going to tell a story. Um, I'll try to be brief. You'll do good. Just do what's <laughs> okay. in your heart. Uh, when we left, we had just barely money that we have from the selling the house, so we were there and we were the renegade missionaries because we didn't do the things that a missionary should do before they go on a mission. So we had no support from anybody. And, but we left anyways because we felt that that's what God was saying, go. So when uh, the money was running out, we were paying our um, health insurance. <laughs> and God told us to stop paying the, the health insurance so we could use that money to buy food and whatever for the people in the colonia. And so we were, I was scared. As a woman, you know, you want your security. And I was scared. What if we get sick? What if something happens? But God says, trust me. <laughs> yeah, you know, God can be trusted. Um, so when we canceled our health insurance, you know, we were going to Sam's Club originally and buying 50 pounds of beans and 50 pounds of rice and putting them in little sandwich bags, you know, and giving them to the people. And we thought that was feeding the poor. And God says, no, you need to feed the poor. And uh, so when we canceled our insurance, you know, that was probably 700 bucks a month. So now we could buy some food. And, uh, and then we were out without health insurance. That was before Obamacare came into existence. Uh, political side note, no. Uh, <laughs> Which was good for me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, so then people started giving us beans and rice. There was a farmer up in South Dakota, and he heard about our ministry feeding the poor, and he says, hey, I've got 10,000 acres, and I'm going to plant you some beans because people in, in Mexico, they live on beans and rice, and now Jesus Christ. That's the way we, we always word it, you know. And uh, so now we, now we had a food ministry, and we, and we had nowhere to put all this food. And, uh, and then I fell one day and, and tore my meniscus in my knee and came up here and some people out in the hallway, out in the narthex, you know, because I kept building houses in Mexico and my knee was torn and I could barely walk. And this is part of the non-insurance thing. And it's like, who's got $20,000 to spend on, insurance, on, a, on a surgery? So I came here and uh, a guy said, why are you limping? I said, well, I got a torn meniscus. He says, why don't you get it fixed? I says, because I don't have any money and I don't have any insurance. And the next day, he talked to somebody, a doctor friend of his, who was an orthopedic surgeon, and he called me up. He says, come on into my office. So we went in there, and he says, you know what? You need, you need surgery. You need it right now. And I said, well, that's cool, but I don't have any money. He says, I'll give you the surgery. I said, okay, we'll take it. <laughs> and he says, but the bad news is you're going to be on the hook for the hospital, which is a surgical team, the surgical room, recovery, rehab, and all that stuff. The next day, the CFO of St. Joseph's Hospital in Joliet, who I had never met before, this, this surgeon called her, and she says, my brother's a missionary. And she says, the hospital has agreed to pay everything else. Mm. So 
Amen. You know? so that's just how God, God provides. And I've got, I got at least a dozen more stories that I could tell you on that, you know, but yeah, maybe. But now we have a warehouse of beans and rice that we don't pay for anymore. We have to pay for the transportation, which is really expensive right now. But um, so we've, we're literally feeding millions, millions of meals a year. It's amazing. We've built over 300 houses down there in the Colonia that we've been at. God has just provided. And then, boom, God disrupts our life once again with COVID. And uh, we haven't built any houses now in two and a half years because now we haven't had any groups come because nobody wants to travel with COVID. But they're starting to come back, maybe. We'll see. So, Bruce, um, you left everything that many of us think is going to make us deep inside feel good. How has it gone inside your hearts, guys? Have you felt like, oh, man, I can't believe we gave all that up? And Well, that was just one aspect of the provision, you know, just that surgery. Um, another, I mean, God just provides. He just provides. And people started asking us if they could sow into our ministry. And then we joined an organization. Once you're in an organization, you're like, okay, to get funding from people, you know, so they want to have a tax deduction. And, uh, which is great. I mean, you get it. But, uh, Paula was married prior to our getting married, and um, she had been divorced, and we'd been married for 25 years now. Well, a couple years ago, her ex-husband's sister calls and says, my brother passed away, and he never changed the beneficiary of his 401k. <laughs> she was still it. <laughs> 125000 Dollars was planted into her bosom. And since I'm married to her, I get a portion. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, Bruce, but you guys even tried to talk to her about giving her some of that. We, wanted, we told her, we said, hey, we don't, we'll give you half of it or whatever. And she insisted. She says, you guys are in the mission field. Paul is like a Facebook friend with her. And she says, no, I don't want anything from you guys. I said, well, let's send her on vacation. She wouldn't take anything, wouldn't take a dime. You know, so we were able to tithe off of that. So we took that 126 grand and gave $12,600 to ministries, you know, and just spread it out, you know, because when you give, God will give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over with a good measure. That's Amen. the way God works, you know. Amen. So that's just, you know. And you guys really do, because I've known you and walked with you all these years. Um, I know there are stories upon stories, and we didn't even touch everything God's doing in your ministry, but I know today at 12.15, down in the chapel on the other end, they're going to have pizza for anybody that comes and tell them about the mission, but also after the service, we're going to have uh, Bruce and Paula be over here in this corner, and you might say, hey, you know, I can't stick around for that pizza, but I've got a question for these guys. And so if somebody comes, what can they expect to see if they come at 12.15? Well, they just got a, a slideshow, just a hokey little slideshow I put up to put together, just some pictures of the orphanage. We built an orphanage in Mexico now, so we have an orphanage with 16 kids. Um, some of you have met Jaime. He was here, I don't know, five years ago or something. Yeah. Um, and, and now we've got 16 kids at that orphanage. And uh, so we, you know... Um, We've got, we're going to show a slideshow of that and just our food ministry now because we're not building any houses anymore. Pretty much everybody in that colonia, there's 500 families, they've all got houses. And we put water lines in there and electricity, so we don't really need to build any more houses. So we're kind of focusing on feeding people, so that's kind of what we're going to be sharing about, you know. So 
Hopefully right. you can come. If you want to come and you haven't signed up, raise your hand so I can order a few more pizzas. <laughs> if anybody wants to come, you can, you're more than welcome to come. I mean, we'll just, we'll just make, God will multiply it. He always does. Like I said, if, amen. Like I said, you guys will be over there afterwards. People want to meet you. What we're going to do right now is this. And, you know, some people are in the habit of leaving when the last song starts. I encourage you today, don't do that because the sermon's not done. Uh, Kim and I want to share with you how God has been working in our life uh, regarding this passage. Uh, but first of all, we want to have a song we can respond. Yeah, you can get out of here, Bruce. Get out of here, man. We're out of here. Thanks, Apostle. Appreciate it. <laughs>